Good morning, and the Lord bless you. Uh, let's turn our Bibles uh, to Mark chapter 4. We are in that part of Mark as we uh, travel through, journey through the book of Mark. Uh, we are in that part uh, where Jesus here is speaking some parables. He's speaking here some mysteries um, and revealing them to his disciples. And we are looking at verse 21 through 34 this morning. I'll read, you can follow, then we'll have a word of prayer. And if you have a red-letter Bible, you know they're the words of Jesus, amen. And also he said to them, is a lamp uh, brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? There is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret but that it should come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Take heed what you hear. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, who listen, more will be given. And whoever has, to him more will be given. Uh, whoever does not have, even that what he has will be taken away. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how, for the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, and after that the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, to what shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what parable, rather, uh, shall we picture it? It is like a mustard seed, which when it is sown on the ground, it is smaller than all the seeds of the earth. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all the herbs and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. And with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it, but without a parable, he did not speak to them. But when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. And Lord, here we are. Lord, we're alone with you. We have come, Lord, to worship you. We have come, Lord, to open your word and, and have you speak into our lives, into our hearts. And so give us, I pray, those ears to hear, those hearts to receive, those things that you have for us, Lord, your bride, your church. And Heavenly Father, we, uh, we pray this morning that, uh, Lord, uh, you would just uh, speak, Father, your word with clarity. Lord, how we thank you that your word has the ability to clarify and to enlighten. Lord, to give us wisdom and direction. All the things that so often, Lord, we find ourselves lacking. Lord, uh, we know that uh, all that we need, we can find in you, dear Jesus. And Lord, we pray this morning, we invite you. You're always the guest of honor, dear Lord. Lord, that goes without saying. We're so thankful, Lord, for your work in our lives. Lord, thank you for the new life that we have in Christ. And how we pray this morning, I pray for those that are here. I thank you for each and every one. And how we, Lord, we commit this time to you. Lord, may all the distractions and all the things that so often go through our thoughts, Lord, may they just be uh, set aside for this brief time 
that, Lord, we might be able to just lock in and to hear what you would have to say, Lord, to us, your people, your church, Lord, your bride. For, Father, we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, we've been speaking here, uh, Jesus, actually, about the, the, the parables, uh, the parables related to the kingdom and really what the kingdom uh, is to be. And it's interesting for those who were actually waiting for the kingdom, uh, the Lord comes and he's there as the king, um, wanting to basically introduce the kingdom to them. And these were the ones actually who really had the scriptures, but really, un- unfortunately, uh, they didn't understand. They didn't hear what Jesus had to say. They didn't really open their heart. And ultimately, they end up putting him on the cross. I think in a sense, that's what happens ultimately when people hear truth uh, and they reject that truth. Um, maybe they don't put him on the cross, but they reject the, the truth and really the same, the same result uh, um, uh, takes place. Now, what a parable is. We started the parables last week. There was four of them in this section, um, three of them that we're going to look at today. Uh, they're little pictures, they're little vignettes, they're little short stories, something that's taken out of ordinary, everyday life um, and basically having spiritual meaning. But the reason he was uh, giving these parables is basically a person could only derive any kind of meaning or anything out of it if they had an open heart. Uh, Jesus would take his disciples afterward. He would reveal, reveal to them, you know, what the whole moral of the story, what the theme and, and you know, what the point of it was. Uh, today, we don't have Jesus in a sense to do that in person like he did then, but we have his spirit. We have the Holy Spirit as we read the Bible and open up our hearts to the word of God to speak into our life and to speak into our situation. So there was a hidden meaning. There was a hidden meaning in this story. Many people would think, well, that was just a quaint little story. We really don't know what that was about, but uh, uh, kind of a cute little uh, vignette, whatever it meant for him and that sort of thing. But it really did have a, an important uh, you know, meaning. And, and again, that's why I think to many people, the Bible is a mystery book. You need the spirit of the living God in your life to interpret to you what that means. I remember I tried to read the Bible many, many years ago. Uh, probably close to, it was probably close to 50 years ago now, uh, that I tried to read the Bible and it just did not make any sense. But when the Spirit of God, when I, got, when I was born again and the Spirit of God came into my life, it was amazing because the, the Holy Spirit's the interpreter. He, he interprets to us that we were talking about last week. You know, there's, there's many missing parts. Your life is like a puzzle. There's many missing pieces to the puzzle. And God has the answer. You know, as we turn to him and as we look to him, he puts it all together. And that's why we need to continue to look to him all the way through as we navigate through life. There's missing pieces. There's questions. uh, There's decisions that have to to be made. And as we look to him, he will give us the wherewithal, the understanding, and that which we need. So again, these folks had to have an open heart in order to get the meaning. Uh, They had to be either spiritually minded or have an open heart. Now, as we come to this first uh, parable here in verse 21, we find there are three elements to it. There's light, uh, there's a bed, and there's a basket. These are symbols. They all have some meaning. And Jesus here, uh, hopefully, we, we want to understand and look at that and see what the meaning are. The first one is simply light. As we go through the Bible, throughout the entire Bible, light is a symbol of good. Uh, it speaks about illumination. Uh, you know, as God gives us illumination, as he gives us wisdom, as he gives us clarity, you know, regarding certain issues. 
I think life is full of, of, of challenges uh, where, we, you know, where we're facing uh, decisions that we have to make. There's, you know, um, you know people, you know, uh, regarding some very important decisions, like a conundrum to them. What do I do? You know, what kind of decision do I make? You know, God will help us to do that. He will give us clarity regarding those things. And that's why it's so important as we look at the Bible today. The Bible, uh, as the Holy Spirit reveals it to us, will answer every issue, every question that we may have as we go through life. Now, he may not answer them right away. He may not answer them the way we want him to answer them. But he will answer those questions in his time as we, you know, as we wait upon him, as we look to him. Uh, so again here, this whole matter of light is understanding. You know, John says this, uh, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Jesus at one time, uh, I think in John chapter 8, said, I am the light of the world. But he would later say, to the disciples and to the church, basically, that you are the light of the world. You see, when Christ comes into our life, now he could come down um, and enlighten someone, and he does in a sense, but he's also called you and me, you know, to be these lights. And that's why he tells us it's important that, you know, that we shine, that we shine for Jesus, that we shine the life of Christ, that we live out this life that he has placed in us. I think one of the greatest advertisements uh, for Christianity, you know, we talk about witnessing, and we're to do that. But I think the greatest witness is really a life that is lived for Christ. Because it's amazing, there's people around us, they've got all kinds of questions, they're looking at the miss, missing pieces to the puzzle, and, and they're wondering, you know, you know, what am I created for? What, you know, what's my purpose in life? And I think people have these questions all the time. And here comes you and me, and here comes the believer. And, and this person has such incredible joy. And they begin to speak about this relationship that they have with God. And people all of a sudden are thinking, well, gee whiz, maybe, uh, you know, maybe that would work for me. Uh, because the fact of the matter is, you know, sometimes we think you know, the, the whole concept of God or the Bible is so foreign to people. The fact of the matter is he's created us. And he's created us for a relationship with himself. And nothing really comes together in our lives. Until our lives get really plugged into God or God gets plugged into us, any way you want to look at it. Um, and, and so that's what Jesus, in a sense here, is speaking, you know, to these people, wanting to, in a sense, turn the light on for them if they were open and willing for that. Now, the first question that we have here regarding verse 21, he says, and let's, let's read that verse again. Is a lamp brought, it's two questions, is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Well, ridiculous. You put it under a bed, you put it under a basket, and again, the lamp that he's speaking of here, and if you have the older version, it speaks about a candle, okay? You don't put a candle under your bed. Uh, you don't put a candle under your bushel. Well, certainly, if you do, it's going to, it's going to start a fire. Uh, and again, the purpose of a lamp is to give life, or give light, rather, uh, not hide that light. But we have some symbols here. When, when he speaks about putting the light under the bed, I think he's referring to our domestic duties. You know, we're to shine. We're to shine for Christ. Uh, be careful that, you know, you don't allow the responsibilities that you have in life to keep you from shining uh, the truth of Christ out of your life. I think sometimes that happens. We get so busy. You get busy with all of our domestic duties, busy being a father, being, busy being a mother. Uh, the basket uh, was a commercial item that really speaks of our business life. Uh, and it's important that we really, you know, shine the light of Christ, you know, when we're out there in the world, 
when we have opportunities. You know, we don't, we don't witness and we don't waste the boss's time uh, when it comes to sharing the gospel. But again, I think as Christ is in our life and when we have opportunity, uh, I can remember when I was used to work in a dental lab many years ago, I looked for every opportunity I could to speak to people. Uh, they saw me carrying my Bible. And, you know, when I first, <laughs> when I first got saved, I'd bring my Bible in, in a brown bag. Don't want anybody to see it. You know, secret agent, you know, secret agent Christian. And then eventually there's a boldness that began to take place in my life. And, and, uh, and I would bring my, I'd walk in with my Bible. And, and it's amazing. I, um, in the lab that I worked, I was in this little office by myself. It was just it happened to work out that way. That when I got hired on, that was that was that the position I filled. And but but over the course of time, as people, you know, heard me talk about the Lord, and um, they would they would either come into my little room and you know come in under some other you know with some other question, but they would begin to talk you know begin to talk about the Lord and about you know. Um, you know, you said that, you know, you, you, you've seen answers to prayer. Could you pray? Could you pray about my situation? You know, one of the things that uh, some of our street uh, teams have done at different times, and most of the time they'll just maybe walk in the street and meet people and that sort of thing. But a couple of different times they would go actually knock on the door of people's homes. And, and they would just present the gospel in this way. Is there any way, you know, you know, we're from a Christian church and so forth. Is there any way that we can pray for you? And it's amazing. Every time you ask somebody that question, everybody's got issues in their life they need answers for. They, they want God to, you know, intervene and work, you know, in a particular situation. You know, there's so many different opportunities, I think, that are out there in our world. And God calls you and me, and I think a lot of times we just simply underestimate you know, our ability to share our faith. Uh, and I remember, you know, as a new believer, I shared my faith a lot more then than I do now. It's, a kind of, it's interesting. And I knew a whole lot less back then. Uh, I, I, you know, I had more faith back then than I did knowledge. And, uh, and, and any kind of opportunity that I had, I would just, you know, share the gospel. Margie was um, getting her hair done this week. And uh, well, last week, rather. No, it was this week. I'm sorry. And uh, she got talking to the hairdresser and, you know, uh, we're always praying for an opportunity, right? You know, whether it's a doctor or a dentist or whatever. And um, she just began to engage this young girl, her, her operator, the, the hairdresser, in a conversation uh, about spiritual things. And before you know it, this girl just kind of jumped right in. And it was just this hunger. There was just this hunger, uh, you know, within her heart that, that was being revealed. And, and so Margie was just, you know, really sharing the, the, the message of Christ with her and the gospel um, and, tell, and telling her how, you know, what a life-changing experience it was. And she says, wow, I'd really like to, to go to church. And she said, well, Margie said, where do you live? She says, well, I live all the way out in Spencerport. And uh, so Margie said, well, we know a church out there in Spencerport. <laughs> That's a good church. And so just simply directed her uh, to the Calvary Chapel that's out there. And she said, wow, that's right down the, the street from me. And so we just kind of hope that uh, she went there maybe this morning. And who, who knows if she maybe perhaps gave her heart uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so um, we're the light. We're the lamp. And God wants us to shine. You know, the world, the world is getting to be a darker place. We, we notice that. That, that. that takes place, you know, in, in, the, in the culture that's out there. We see the angst. We see the anger. We see the hatred. We see all those things. We see the polarization politically. We see all these things that are taking place out there. And we have to be very careful. 
especially politically, we have to be very careful that we're not just taking sides. Because people need Christ. And I think we need to keep our political affiliation out of that conversation. And, and let the Lord, you know, use us and work. You know, and, and, I, and I can't think, I, you know, one of the things that we pray for all the time is, Lord, we need another Pentecost in our country. We need an outpouring of the Spirit of God. And, you know, that starts with us. When we pray for that for our nation, for our communities, we, we always say, Lord, start with us. We're not just praying for them. We're praying for us as well. Because sometimes, you know, the, the, at, at different times, you know, the, the church has become indifferent, complacent. And, and we have to be very careful that, that we don't become complacent uh, about what's going on in our world and in our culture uh, type of thing. And just, you know, I'm just going to batten down the hatches, just going to live in my little enclave, um, not going to interact with anybody out there. Uh, you know, God calls us. He calls us, you know, to... Take steps of faith. And, you know, the love of Christ is a reckless kind of a love. It, it steps out there and puts itself in a difficult situation. You know, love, love prompted him to leave his throne and to come to redeem us, to bring us into relationship with himself. And so God calls us at times to leave our comfort zone, to leave those things that are convenient, and to allow him to use us in that kind of way. Now, he says here, as we're speaking about this subject of light uh, in this particular parable, he says, For there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor is anything kept secret but that it should come to light. And when you think about the human heart, what is more secretive than the human heart? And in a sense, we all, every one of us today here probably have secrets. But the Bible tells us, and I remember as a new believer, where, where the, the dawning of that, the understanding of that, because we tend to be secretive, we tend, we tend to hide things uh, you know, from one another uh, you know, for different reasons. Um, you know, there's probably some secrets that, that they're probably okay to keep. <laughs> but see, God knows all of our secrets. He sees you know, the Bible says over in Hebrews, you know, all things regarding God, all things are naked and exposed and open to him with whom that we must give an account. And I imagine when somebody's got things in their life that are not right, that's a sobering thought. That's an incredibly sobering thought. Nothing will be hidden, you know, from him. And that's why I think, you know, when Christ comes into our life, and I'm sure that for, for, for those of you who know the Lord here, and I think most of you do, that he wants to create a certain transparency that takes place between us and him. See, there's no way that we can be open and transparent with one another unless we have first and foremost been transparent and open with him to have that kind of relationship. See, there's nothing I can hide from God, so I can confess. I can confess some horrible thought, some terrible thought that I know that does, that's not right. I can confess that to him. 
and he's not going to turn me away. Now, there are certain things that maybe if you confess, you know, to somebody that you know, hey, I was thinking this thought, they'd say, oh, really? And they'd go away thinking, man, what a terrible person they are. But see, he knows. He knows exactly because, you know what? We're all sinners. <laughs> We're all sinners that need a Savior. And that's why when I see somebody that their life is messed up, you know what I say? There go I, except for the grace of God. I would encourage you to cultivate that transparency between you and the Lord. Because what can we hide from Him? And He won't shun us. He won't turn us away. As, as we open our heart and we confess what we are, what we are not, what we need to be. There's such, there's such freedom in that. There's such a, a freedom and restoration when you can just be who you are before God Almighty and you know that He doesn't reject you. And I'm so thankful for the work of the Holy Spirit to flash His light in each one of our lives. Because He may... And he does. He shows us things about ourselves that maybe we don't even really understand. You know, you talk about the, 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 the human personality. It can be so incredibly complex and complicated. That's why it's interesting that one of the highest suicide rates, uh, suicide rates rather, is with uh, psychological prof professionals. But he's our creator. He knows us so thoroughly. And, and I, it's amazing the insights and revelation that he has given me about me and about human nature. And, and I know he's not done because I, I don't know it all. I don't profess to know it all. As a matter of fact, I profess to know very little. But I'll tell you what, when you know him, when you know him, that's what makes the difference. When you know the Lord, and you have him at your side and in your life. I would encourage you, be open, be honest. Be transparent with the Lord. And I love it, you know, in our prayer meetings, a lot of times someone who's discovered that too, they'll just begin to pour out their heart about some issue. And there's no judgment in the meeting. It's like everybody's saying, yeah, praise the Lord. And, and, and sometimes it comes out with tears and brokenness. I tell you what, it's a beautiful thing. It's a, it's a beautiful thing to have a relationship with the true and the living God where there's a transaction between heaven and our hearts. And it can take place on a regular basis. So there's nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret, but that it should come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, he's saying, if anyone's listening to what I have to say, let him meditate upon that. You know, I think also, too, you know, Jesus is speaking about, you know, that even we as believers, we need to be careful that we don't hide the light that he's, he's given us. You know, he says over in Luke chapter 11, if the light 
that be in you be darkness. How great is that darkness? Here's the deal. Here's the deal. God is the purveyor of truth. And when he speaks into our life, he gives us truth. You ever hear this kind of expression? You, you, share, you share Christ. You share biblical truth with somebody. You say, well, you know, you got your truth and I got my truth. And that's this whole thing that we find going on in our, in our culture and society, that there's no absolute truth. But that's wrong. There is absolute truth. And remember Jesus, uh, you know, um, he said, you know, he said, you shall know the, the truth and the truth will set you free. And over in John 17, 17, he's praying for the church, for the future, for you and me. And he says, Father, sanctify them or set them apart with thy truth. Thy word is truth. So the absolute truth that we find that we can apply to our lives with certainty is the word of God. Because there's a lot of philosophy and concepts out there that people think they're truth. But there's one truth that will save you, that will change you, and will get you into eternity. That's the truth of the gospel. And that's why it's so important here that, again, if the light that be in you be darkness, what you think is light, what you think is truth, some, and again, the world's full of these kind of philosophies. We have the truth. The truth as it is, the Bible tells us, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he explains here in verse 25 what we're to do, you know, with the light that we receive, with the insight, with the truth that God gives us. Whoever has to him, more will be given. Now, when you first read this, when you read this verse here, it sounds like, wow, that sounds like mean. That sounds like, that sounds very mean. Whoever has to him, more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken away. And what he's saying is simply this. God gives us light. He gives us understanding. He's, he's ready and willing to give us himself. And so he, as he gives us wisdom, what's important, and here's, here's, here's our model of education today. It's, it's a sort of a Greek model. It's a Western model. That if you ascend to this truth, if you ascend to this truth and you got it. I, I, most of the time when people go through the educational system, it's like, okay, I got that. Let's move on to something else. But in the Hebrew model, in the biblical model, that when you get that truth, you need to obey it and act on it. That's what actualizes it in your life. Because a lot of times... How many times we all have maybe ascended to some insight, some little revelation. We said, oh, that's so good. But we never practiced it. We never really obeyed and acted on it. And you know what happens? You lose it. If you don't, it's a therapy, it's a therapy uh, motto. If you don't use it, you lose it. But that's, that's also true with spiritual truth. If you don't lose, use it, you will lose it. But if you act upon it, you will get more. If you act upon what God speaks into your life, he sees it. Okay, they're ready for more. That's why it's important. We need to implement. We need to act on it. We need to, to practice the things, you know, that we find as we read the Bible. We don't want to just, in a sense, be detached students 
But we want to be living out. We want to be practicing the things uh, that the Lord has spoken. You know, again, people can get amazing revelation, but you know what? You can lose it through unbelief. You can lose great insights through, through unbelief or disobedience. Now, the, the parable here closes with an ex exhortation. He says, now take heed to what you hear. In other words, take heed to those things that you've heard and, and to the things that you're listening to. And he says, basically, uh, to, to you uh, who hear, more will be given. Now, this word take heed reminds me of something that we find in another place. And I want to read to you a couple of verses here in Hebrews chapter 2. And in verse 1, Paul says this. Well, that is if Paul wrote Hebrews. Uh, he says, therefore... We must give the more earnest heed to the things that we've heard, lest we drift away. It's a picture of a boat that's lost this morning. Tide will just carry out a boat uh, into the ocean, or even, even a, 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 a tidal river. We need to give the more earnest heed to the things that we've heard, or else, you know what? Not just the thought, the concept is going to drift away, but we we, as God's people, will drift away from the mooring. Remember, Jesus is what? Our anchor point, okay? The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 7 that he's our anchor. It's a hope that we have, this anchor point that we have. And when we don't, again, give more earnest heed uh, and lock in on the things that God is speaking to us, uh, that's why it's important. We need to be reading our Bible each and every day uh, for, and, and again, coming to it with faith. Now, as we move into verse 26, this is another parable. We're shifting gears here a little bit. Uh, this parable basically is a teaching here about growth. And one of the things that he's saying re re relative to, and it's an agricultural picture. These, again, were everyday uh, kinds of pictures of things that they were familiar with. Uh, it's a teaching here about growth, how important it is to have patience, that as we have patience, God will bring that harvest into our life, just like a farmer has patience, and he waits upon. You know, when you think about farming, man, I, I'm glad I was never a farmer. You know, you got all kinds of, all kinds of elements, storms, uh, droughts, you know, things of that particular nature that have an impact on your, your basically your, your whole lifestyle, your career. And so when you think about a farmer, man, here's a guy in a sense, uh, and, and his, he really has to go by faith. There's a lot of things that he can, he doesn't really have that he just simply, there are elements and all kinds of things that are out of his control. So the kingdom of God is this, if a man would scatter seed on the ground, then he would sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow, but he himself does not know. So here he does his part. And I think, uh, I think that's one of the points here. We do our part, right? We do our part. You can't force growth. Do you ever try to get somebody saved and you end up being in the flesh about it? You turn people off, you know, you just, you, you can't force salvation because it's a God thing. He, he has to do it. You know, you can plant a seed. You may be the person uh, at, at times that comes along to water, you know, someone's life, or you may be that person who comes along and you have the opportunity to evangelize that person. And there's a certain amount of patience and trust here that, you know, as, you know, God wants to use our lives because we're, we're, we're called, 
to give out the seed of the word of God. And there's so much that we can't control and there's so much that we don't know. You know, sometimes too, you know, I don't know how, what your, your salvation experience was like. But uh, when I came to Christ, Margie and I came to Christ, it was like real quick. It was like within a week, both of us, like boom, boom. It uh, seemed to be that God was moving. But I've noticed that God doesn't always save people like that. You may have somebody in your life, man, you've been praying. I've been praying for this person like for years. And I'm just waiting for God to work. And let me, t- let me encourage you, keep praying for them. And, and keep speaking into your life, into their life in some kind of way. Now, you can tell when somebody's turned off, they don't want to hear it. Fine. You know, don't, don't beat them on the head with the Bible. Don't try to get them in a corner and that sort of thing. You know, you've got to give time, time for God to work. I was at, as I worked in a dental lab many years ago, there was a, there was a guy in there named Doug, and uh, I uh, start witnessing to him. And I literally drove him crazy because I was a new believer, and I just, you know, like, uh, you, know, he, you know, here's a victim. <laughs> I'm going to get this guy saved, you know, kind of a thing. And you know what? Uh, he was in the denture department, and I worked in, across the lab in another department, and I'm back there talking to Dougie. And he just looked at me and said, leave me alone. <laughs> and so, you know, uh, I guess I needed that hint. <laughs> but, you know, he came to Christ six months later. I, I did. I just left him alone. I didn't say another word to him, but he came to Christ about six months later. And I've seen him over the years, and he's still walking, you know, with the Lord. So we need to, you know, we need to allow God to work. Anxiety, worry, you know, all those things can't make, you know, can't get anyone saved. Can't make, you can't even make yourself grow. There's a slow process that God is working within your life. You know, uh, Paul speaks of it like this regarding him. And one of his associates, he says, I planted, but Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he who plants anything, uh, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. Their purpose is one. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. Amazing. Isn't that amazing? God would choose you and me. Uh, you know, sometimes, I, you know, sometimes I, 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 you know, I muse on these things as a pastor. You know, God could pick any a million people that could be up here better than me. He wouldn't even have to go very far. And, and as I think about it, I think, Lord, you're so good to, to bring me or, or to bring us into this great, incredible enterprise of sharing the gift of eternal life. When, 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 again, you just simply become a vehicle, a conduit, a planter, a waterer <laughs> for, for God to use. And there's going to be people. I believe there are going to be people in eternity that are going to come up to you and me in heaven. Say, so you may not remember this, but you shared the gospel with my mom or my dad and the whole family got saved. And they may come up and say, "Just man, I love you, thank you. <laughs> and I think a lot of times we underestimate. You know, we're not Billy Graham, right? <laughs> we're not Luis Palau. We're not Greg Laurie. You know, we're not some notable individual. But you're unique. You're uniquely who you are that God created you to represent Him and to simply be that conduit through which that he might work 
and reveal himself to, uh, to some needy soul that's out there. So again, just like, just, like a, just like a farm, God provides the sunshine, <laughs> provides the rain. And again, I think is the, the point of the end of verse 27 there is, you know what? We, we don't know how God works. You know, it's like... Uh, I'm praying for two people. Um, close to me. And I think when we pray for people, you know, we don't know exactly how God's going to work that out. I think that's what he's saying here. But in each one of these situations that I'm praying for these, these people that I know, there's life-threatening things that have taken place in their life. And I'm saying, Lord, I didn't want to pray that. <laughs> but you see, doesn't God know? Doesn't he know what a person needs? And that's why you know what? You can't pray a direction prayer. You ever pray a direction prayer? You know some person so well and you want God, okay, okay Lord, do it this way. <laughs> and God answers the prayer, but he does it in a totally different way. And he didn't take any of your instruction or any of our directions. And, and he works it. In, 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 and that's why, in a sense, not that you can't pray specifically for somebody's health. That's fine. But he's going to work it out his own particular way in that person's unique personality. That he, again, he knows what exactly to use. Now, he says in verse 28, He's making this point that basically there are sta stage, different stages that take time. But you know the scripture says God makes all things beautiful in his time. I can remember raising my kids. And I wanted them to be everything that I wasn't. I wanted them to be just perfect kids because I wasn't. <laughs> but you know what? They had to grow up and make their own mistakes. They had to grow up and make their own mistakes. That's why when I was a parent, I never told them how bad I was when I was a kid. Never told them that. That was going to be a mystery for the rest of their life until they grew up. I, I, mean, I didn't want to encourage them, right? As soon as you tell, you know, tell somebody <laughs> that kind of thing, um, it, it kind of opens the door, I think, in the wrong kind of way. But again, he makes everything beautiful in this time. Now, he speaks here in verse 28 about this process, this process of growth, the blade uh, uh, then the head after the full, full grain. And when the grain ripens, uh, the, the sickle's put in and the harvest comes. You know, our culture is so basically, it, it so demands instant results. And you know, when it comes to God and the work of God in your life and in the life of other people, man, it's a process. And oftentimes it's slow. And, and we need to be patient. We need to be patient with people. I find this, uh, I, think it's, I think sometimes, uh, you know, pastors have gotten in trouble. Because of certain things that they've said, you know, from the pulpit. To speak unadvisedly. To get frustrated with, with some of the things that might be going on in different people's lives. And I think that's a dangerous thing. You know, God is gracious. God is patient. And in his, you know, his work in our life is, is basically a lifetime. But I'm thankful he's working. 
You know, sometimes too, when we're praying for somebody, we say, Lord, give me a little token for good. Give me a little, a little indication. And so many times the Lord has done that for me as I'm praying for somebody. He goes, Lord, has this prayer gone anywhere? I've been praying for him for five years. Lord, give me a token for good. And he does. He gives you some little indication, some little sign that he's at work, you know, in that particular situation. The scripture says, for you have need of patience, for so after doing the will of God, you will receive the promise. You know, James tells us here uh, in his little epistle in chapter 5, uh, verses 7 through 11. I want to read it to you because he's speaking here. Uh, just repeat it over and over. He's speaking about patience. And, and every one of us, we're really in a place of waiting for something, right? We're all, it seems like we're always waiting for something. Waiting for God to work, answer prayer, waiting, waiting for Him to work within maybe a loved one. And he says this, he says, therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. So <laughs> that's for the rest of our lives. And see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for, for it until he receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed to endure. You have heard of the patience of Job, the perseverance of Job, uh, and seen the end intended by the Lord, for the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. So it reminds us there of Job. You, you, look at the, you look at the guy's life, and it's like nobody ever, <laughs> I don't think, has everybody ever prayed? Have you ever prayed, Lord, uh, Lord, can you take me through what you took Job through? No, that's a prayer that no Christian will ever ask. As you look at the life of Job. But the end, the end result. There are trials and things that you and I are going through. And they're difficult. And we would never ask for those trials, would we? And we would never sometimes wish certain trials on people. But there's a goal. There's a result. There's a divine purpose and plan that he's working out in the lives of his people. Remember Romans 8, 28. All things work together for the good, not for everybody. Okay? That's only for those in Christ. All things work together for the good to those who are basic, those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And, and, and that's, there's so many times I need to remember that. That, that Lord, somehow you're going to bring good out of this. Because sometimes you look at things Lord, how can you possibly bring good out of such a difficult trial and a situation, a painful thing that somebody's going through? I don't know how he does it, but I know he does it, and he can do it. And that's why he wants us to trust him, to trust him to do what we cannot do. Now, we've got a few more moments here. One more parable, and we're going to wrap this up. This is the parable in verse thirty. Uh, through 32, the parable, <coughs> excuse me, of the mustard seed. And it says, to what shall we like in the kingdom of God? And with what parable shall we picture it? It is like a mustard seed, which when it is sown on the ground, it is smaller than all the seeds uh, of the earth. I don't know if you've ever seen a mustard seed. Do you ever see how small they are? I mean, they're like minuscule. They're like tiny little things. And that's where they grind the powder out of. Uh, and it's an interesting thing about uh, 
you know, a mustard seed, it has a, a big potential. It's a little plant. Uh, at most, it, it'll grow quickly, rapidly. Uh, at the most, it'll get about four foot high, four to five foot high. Uh, there's different varieties of it all around the world. Uh, there's black mustard seeds, there's brown ones, there's yellow ones, and that sort of thing. Um, and I never realized until I got to Israel what a mustard shrub actually looked like uh, with its little yellow flowers and so forth. But the thing about it is uh, it's used for a condiment and it's used also to, for a medicine. In other words, it can stimulate and also to at the same time it can irritate. Um, have you ever been in the Chinese restaurant and got some of that mustard? Uh, we love Chinese food. We go, we used to, we've gone there uh, for years and uh, we take our little noodles there and we put... Uh, we dip them in the mustard. Have you ever get a little too much mustard? Can you imagine taking a spoonful of that mustard and putting it on your tongue? Uh, you're going to be a fire-breathing dragon. And, uh, and it's got some kind of enzyme in it uh, that basically uh, gives you that kind of fire on your tongue. But medically speaking, it's been used for centuries. And maybe this dates me, but uh, you, you probably won't see a mustard plaster anymore. That was something that was put on your chest when you had a cold. Or I, I was at seven, eight years old, I had pneumonia. And I wasn't sure when they put that thing on me it was going to cure me or kill me. Uh, but they take the mustard pow powder, uh, they mix it with the boiling water uh, and egg white and flour. And then what you do is you put it on, you, you basically lay it on, you pack it on a piece of um, cheesecloth. And you put it on the chest. And when you take it off your chest, there's like this big red square that's on your chest. Um, and I remember, you know, growing up in my grandmother's house, um, she was old school. And um, you just didn't want to get sick in her house because you never knew what she was going to pull, you know. Uh, it was either cod liver oil or castor oil. You thought you were going to, you know, she was trying to poison you, but she really wasn't. And, uh, and I remember I had that, that, that mustard plaster patch on me. And um, it never did work because the doctor eventually had to come anyway. But uh, we, we see some of the different uses here from, the, from the, simply this little seed or this mustard, uh, this mustard plant. But remember Jesus said this. He said, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, very small little grain, but if you have that much faith, and it shows you how powerful faith is, that you'll say to that mountain, be thou removed or be moved from here to there, and nothing shall be impossible to you. I mean, there is a power in faith. And it's not in the sense of our own personal possession. It's faith in the object of Jesus Christ. It's faith in what he can do. Because we, sometimes I think we faith, well, I, I, you know, I can't do anything. Well, in a sense, that's true. But in another sense, what can he do? Well, all things are possible to him. And he says, if you just have this mustard seed, this little tiny bit of faith. And he's not saying that, you, and again, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's an allegory kind of a thing. It's not that you walk up to this mountain and say, hey, I want to move here, from here to over there. The mountains were always spoke of as obstacles and barriers. And life is full of obstacles and barriers and things that would not move. Do you know that there's a lot of doors in life that if God didn't open them for you, they wouldn't open? I look at my life even before Christ, and I believe he opened certain doors for me. 
as I look back and I think, wow, Lord, there was no way. There was no way that I could do that. No way I could get into that situation. And there were other doors that, you know what? I'm thankful that he has closed. See, he wants us to trust him with our life, with the direction of our life, with the choices in our life. He wants us to direct him. He wants us to direct him as we look to him. Now, it's interesting, in closing in verse 32, he draws our attention to something that is, that is out of place, unnatural. Because in Matthew's account, he says that this mustard, this mustard seed grows into a tree. Mustard seeds and shrubs never grow into a tree. As a matter of fact, they're kind of spindly. Um, it's, it, you can barely even put a bird nest in a mustard seed, or mustard tree, rather. But Jesus, basically, what he's saying here, because this plant is just it's lowly. Some of them, it's just almost like ground cover. He's speaking here of a false growth and a future corruption that would take place in the church. Because for it to grow up like that, it's unnatural. It's false. Something's wrong with it. It's not the genuine article. And he's speaking here about what would happen to Christianity. There would be a pseudo-Christianity. There would be a false church. Look at the churches. Look at so many of the churches that have become institutionalized and controlled by the government over the course of history. If you read the book of uh, Fox's book of Martyrs, it took place during the Middle Ages, the, the, the gross, massive genocide of the church. You know who it was done by? The institutional church. <laughs> That's who it was done by. Read, the, read Fox's book of Martyrs. That They were the evangelicals. They were the Bible believers of their day. And it was the institutionalized church I mean, when you look at guys like Martin Luther, who was a Catholic monk, he just decided to teach the Bible, and look how the church turned against him. They even plotted his murder. God didn't let it happen. So he's, in a sense, this, is, this, this, this little parable is prophetic. It's prophetic of, you know, yes, there would always be the true church. God would always have his people, okay? But there would be the pseudo-church, the false church, that we see, you, you, sometimes you can go into a church and you won't even hear the Bible. <laughs> then you can go into a Bible church, and there are many, praise God, and, and, you, and you can sense the Spirit of God. You can sense the love of God. <laughs> In closing, I want to look at one more agricultural picture in John chapter 12 and we'll close with this Jesus shared this speaking of himself but also to making application for us as well when he says in John chapter 12 verse 24 speaking here of his death and his resurrection and again using this agricultural allegory analogy he says, most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies. He was speaking of his life. He was speaking of his life. 
If it doesn't do that, it remains alone. But if it dies, it will produce much grain or much fruit. Now, is he just saying that for his own sake? Is there another application here as well? I think he is saying it for his own sake. Verse 24. But he makes another inclusive application in the next verse when he says this. He who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. Let him follow my example. And where I am, there my servant will also be. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. You see, he calls us as well to lay aside our interest. That has to happen if we're really going to experience the full-orbed Christian life. We were singing a few moments ago, I surrender all. And as we close out this, if there's something this morning that you would like to give over to the Lord, something you want to surrender, that's between you and him. We don't have to know what that is. But he knows what's in your heart. If there's something that maybe you need to let go of, to turn over, to relinquish, to surrender. Before I pray, I want you to stand up. This is between you and the Lord. If there's something you need to just, you, he's been prompting you, maybe he's speaking to your heart, to release, to relinquish, to turn it over to him. And you're asking for his help, that's all. You're asking for him to help you to do that. Because in ourselves, man, we're weak. In ourselves, you know, we can love the Lord, but we can be intently selfish. So, Father, I thank you for those that have stood here this morning. And I thank you, Lord, for the blessed help of your Holy Spirit. Lord, how weak we are. Lord, we can be so, we can love you so, but yet be so inconsistent. Lord, how we need you in our lives. So, Father, this morning, Lord, by faith, Lord, we surrender these things to you. Lord, we want to follow you. Lord, we realize that there will be no resurrection power in our lives until we surrender the very things that we love, the very things that we so often cleave to, certain things that we think we cannot live without. Lord, we can live without those things, but we can't live without you. And so, Father, I pray this morning as we do this by faith that you would grant power, that you would grant that work of the Spirit in the inner person. Lord, there are things that they've just, they're coiled around us, Lord. Lord, we think of how addictive and compulsive human nature is. But, Lord, your power is greater. So, Heavenly Father, we look to you this morning. We bring ourselves before you and we ask you, Lord, to deposit within us that fresh measure of faith. Lord, that, that power of your spirit to work in us, to will and to do of your good pleasure. We pray it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.